Welcome to Decrypt, Asia's first blockchain and cryptocurrency podcast. I'm your host, Tushar. Each week, we take a deep dive into the Asian blockchain scene with investors, technologists, and industry insiders. Go to decrypt.asia to subscribe to our newsletter and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Telegram to join in the discussions. Hi, guys. Today, I have perhaps the most interesting and most experienced guest in the blockchain space that we've had in the short history of this show. Our guest for today's show is Meher Roy. Meher has been active in this ecosystem since about 2013. He's a fellow podcaster and host of Epicenter, one of the most well-respected blockchain podcasts in the industry with guests such as Vitalik Buterin, Adam Back, Gavin Andreessen, Ralph Merkel, regularly featuring on his show. He has also recently started a new company called Chorus One, where his company is building validator nodes for proof-of-stake blockchain networks such as Cosmos. Meher is a graduate of the Indian Institute of Technology, or IIT, and worked in the pharmaceutical and healthcare industry prior to making a switch to the blockchain world. A quick note here before I begin. I ended up talking to Meher for close to two hours. As a result, I had to split this episode into two parts. In the first part, we'll talk more about the company he's building. And in the second part, we'll talk about his investment philosophies and the mental models he uses while making investment decisions. This is part two of the discussion. Enjoy the podcast. I want to switch things a little bit and get back to the investor perspective. You know, pick your brain on that. So high level and more broadly speaking, are there any mental models or philosophies that you use while approaching investments in the crypto space? You invested in Bitcoin relatively early. You got into Ethereum quite early as well in 2015. And, you know, I'm not sure what your journey has been like post that. But And I'll get into all of the details. But more broadly speaking, you know, is, is there a mental framework that you have? Of course, one of the, one of the main mental frameworks, the framework of Thinking, thinking from the compounding perspective, I've already covered that, but it, it, it reflects itself in the way I enter an asset and exit an asset. So if I'm a believer in the power of compound interest and like compound interest needs time to show its, its potency, right? So ideally, my ideal investment is the thing that I will buy today that I will hold for 10 years. It will grow at 20% a, a year, at least 20% a year. If it can go faster, better. And yeah, if it goes at 20% a year or, or for 10 years, that's that's something like an 8x. So I I seek to make a 10x over 10 years. So I, I want to search for things that can realistically, I, I will want to hold for 10 years. They will produce a 10x return. And... I want, I want decently high odds there. Now, decently high odds, maybe I want like, I don't know, 70% odds. But I'm also willing to consider those things that will grow potentially 100x over 10 years, but with lower odds. Right? So if somebody, something grows 100x over 10 years, but only with 20% odds, that's fine with me because uh, even the probability of success is low, um, growth rate is, is high. The result of sort of this approach is that I, I don't day trade, right? So I bought Ether in October 2015. 
and yeah, I've I've held I've held ether all through. I've I've held ether through the DAO. I've held it as the parity hack. In fact, I I'm trying not to see coin market cap often, but I, I'm unable to instill that discipline in myself. <laughs> So, uh, uh, so like that's that's one main framework, right? Like, and I, I would, I would, I would give this advice unconditionally to everyone, right? Like, buy that thing that you can realistically hold for ten years. But not everyone what? has that vision, right? I mean, it's very difficult for an average investor to identify what's going to be uh, successful, you know, over a ten-year period. I mean, there could be so many. There are so many variables. This space moves so quickly. How do you identify that project that you think is going to go 10x? Yeah. So, so, so this really brings to the other, uh, the other pieces. Like, how do you, how do you spot these? I, I don't know. I might not have the perfect algorithm for spotting these, but in general, like the approach I take is uh, to really wonder about, like, what are the key, what are the, sort of the key inventions that will matter. Right? Like if I if I take the perspective of 50 years in the future, so 50 years in the future, somebody will write a history of blockchain, just like I can now write a history of the internet. And now, if you look at like the any history of the internet, well, it turns out there were only a, key, a few key things that mattered, right? Like I, I don't know, TCP/IP mattered, HTTP, Tim Berners-Lee mattered, SSL mattered. But if you go and go to history and if you see like there were thousands of projects, really thousands, they all didn't matter, right? Like you can count on like, on your fingers what mattered. It's something like the internet. And I think it's going to be similar with crypto 50 years from now. Uh, they'll be like the, 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 the projects or the inventions that mattered, they will, you can count them on your fingers. And so the attempt is to, is to, is to try to identify what's going to matter and it's going to be very few and I don't think it's also particularly hard to to see what 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 these might be I mean so if you look at the crypto space today what are the main main problems one main problem is scalability it's it's obvious and now if you look at scalability if you study the approaches to scalability you'll see that there are like five approaches and there, you will also see that for each of these five approaches, there's one or two projects that are pursuing it. And you can narrow down those five approaches to two interesting ones, and then you can buy the tokens of those two. But scalability is not the only. So you can think of it as a tree. So what are the problems that matter? That's the root question of the tree. And then there are branches springing from this tree. So one branch is like, how will blockchain scale? And right, and then there are like other, like there are five sub branches, which is like different methods to make blockchain scale. And each of these sub branches branches into that particular project, which is trying to scale in a particular way. So I basically plot that tree, right? So scalability is one branch of that tree. The second branch of, of, of the tree is it's smart contract safety, not only smart contract safety, but like making it easy for developers to write contracts and have those contracts be safe. You know, that's the that's the second branch. And it's it's similar, right? Like so there are there are approaches to smart contract safety. There's the Tezos kind of approach, there's the K framework kind of approach. 
the Tezos approach is the Koch approach. There's yeah. the K framework kind of approach. So there are like two or three sub branches and then there are projects there. So that's a second part of the tree. The third part of the tree, you can think of like tool sets that are needed, right? So you can plot a branch. You can obviously see that we need decentralized exchanges. So you can you can build a tree there. In decentralized ex exchanges, there are like two or like two or three approaches. So what I try to do is I try to plot this tree. Ultimately, I, I'm trying to figure out what sub branch of the tree is is particularly interesting. The most interesting branches are those where the founders have some insight that is especially beautiful and that not many people realize. So for example, in the scalability front, I think like our chain, our chain has something, something beautiful to it. So once you plot this tree, you, you'll realize that you'll cut out all the noise, right? Like in plotting this tree, you will end up with already just 20 or 25 projects that are worthwhile, not more, right? And each of us will have a different tree, but it will end up in 20 or 25. That's the universe we have to focus on. And out of those 20, 25, we want to drill down even further. The way I drill down is what is the key insight that the founder has uh, or the founders have. Um, and that key insight should usually be something that is non-obvious, but very powerful. And so when I find something like that, I, I just I just buy and I, and I follow follow that project. Okay, that's very interesting to hear because, you know, I've, again, um, I kind of use that approach as well, but I think it's very difficult to have that discipline and that long time horizon. I mean, to, you need to have a very, very long investment horizon to be able to think like that. But, you know, I like how, how you kind of, you know, articulated that because... I mean, if I think fundamentally, if you find good projects, then it doesn't really matter what price you get at, get in at, right? I mean, if if you think that that's the one that's going to succeed, I mean, I think a lot of people in this space get caught up in, uh, and and you know that's a lot of chatter that happens on different Telegram groups and Slack channels and on Reddit and Discord about timing the market right and and getting in and then getting out. Yours is more of a fundamental approach in in terms of just picking the good projects and then and then holding them long term. And holding them long term, and I I I try not to be in Telegram groups. Like I I get a lot of invites, Slack group, Telegram groups, but I'm part of only two Slacks, which is my company and Epicenter, and I'm part of um, <laughs> that's it. Yeah. And Telegram, yeah, I I don't I don't I'm not part of a single Telegram group. I, I don't even attend conferences. The only one I attend is like Ethereum DevCon. Yeah. The only other I'd consider is the Archain conference. Um, so I, I, I try not to drown myself in too much information. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, but I mean, from an investment perspective, don't you think, because I know like, for example, you mentioned the smart contract safety issue, right? And so Tezos is trying to solve it. There are a few other projects that are trying to solve it, but so is Ethereum. Right. And, and so, I mean, I guess my question is that, you know, because of the open source nature of uh, this industry, again, I mean, I think a lot of the projects are going to deploy whatever the best practices are in some of the other projects. And, you know, I mean, fundamentally it might be a little bit difficult to implement, but 
again, I think if you put the right resources and human capital in place, you know, uh, people will figure it out. So, I mean, doesn't that make things even more complex? Because there are um, factors beyond just solving these problems that might come into play to identify the projects that you think might succeed on a 10-year timeline. Yeah, I think yeah, this is this is this is actually very true. This is actually quite true that an invention might be great, but the inventing project might not be the one to succeed. Crypto does have this um, does have this issue. It's not an issue; it's actually a nice thing. Um, if if we take the abstract perspective that we want the technology to grow faster, this is actually a nice thing. But it does make life as an investor hard. What it really boils down is to is that like there might be some inventions that are really important for the industry in the long run, but the inventing team that makes that invention will not be able to build a network effect around that invention. So if you look at Ethereum, well, like the idea of of during complete smart contracts restricted by gas, that was the main invention. It's a very important invention. And it also has a network effect. The network effect is two kinds, right? Like, so the number of developers that build on a platform, that's one kind of scarcity. But the other kind of scarcity is, we haven't seen it yet, but it might be the case that individual smart contracts are not the units of utility, but networks of smart contracts are the units of utility. Could you, sorry, could, I, sorry, could you explain that? I mean, what, what does that mean? What does that mean? Okay, so if you, if you, if you look at any economic system, uh, like, like if you look at like capital markets, uh, I don't know, like let's say you, you you look at like fixed income markets, right? And the specific fixed income market I look at is let's say I'm looking at mortgage-backed securities, you know, and and I'm looking at credit default swaps on mortgage-backed securities you'll observe that it, it's a chain of contracts that creates a credit default swap on a mortgage-backed security. What, is, what does that chain look like? So I, as a homeowner, go and borrow some money from a home lending company. So that's the first contract. That's the first financial interaction. Then this mortgage lending company is going to, is giving loans to not just me, but 1,000 people like me. So now that's 1000 contracts and each contract is not a single contract, but it's like three or four contracts. So it's really like four or 5,000 contracts that are made by the mortgage lending company. And then the mortgage lending company sells it to an investment bank. Now this is probably a very complex set of 10 or 15 contracts. So 5,000 plus 10 or 15. And then the investment banking company, it creates a special purpose vehicle that special purpose vehicle, what it does is if I pay uh, back interest on my loan, it goes into the special purpose vehicle. So creation of this special purpose vehicle is another five, six big contracts. And then the special purpose vehicle creates a mortgage backed security that represents these 10, this 1000 loans. So if I'm one of those 1000 homeowners that are part of that mortgage backed security, when I pay interest, it goes into the special purpose vehicle and then the special purpose vehicle has investors. Part of it goes to the investor. So if you look at this interaction, 
So like societal interaction, what, so, what is society is trying to solve here? Society is trying to solve this problem that you have a group of humans that have capital and they're seeking to make five or 7% a year. And then you have another group of humans that actually owns, wants to buy home and they want to borrow capital. And you need a market, you need like an engine, a mechanism that will make the money flow from the owners of capital to the people buying homes. And then when the people buying homes earn money, for the money to flow from the people buying homes back to the owners of capital. You want this kind of mechanic. You're building essentially this mechanism. Mortgage-backed securities, credit default swaps, home lending institutions are just like tools by which we are building this mechanism, right? So you can think of the mechanism as a car. The car needs a wheel, which is this lending organization. It needs an engine, which is the investment bank. But Underlying one of the tools this machine needs is all of these contracts, right? And a single, a single contract is not the mechanism. The mechanism of this money, the societal money flow is made with a combination of probably 10,000 contracts rather than a single contract. If we, so imagine in the future in crypto, we are building the same mechanism, like a mechanism that allows owners of crypto capital to pool their capital and lend to a pool of homeowners. And then when the pool of homeowners repay, the pool of owners of capital get repaid. So if you want to build this mechanism in crypto, it won't be one contract. It will probably be at least thousands of small programs doing small pieces of it collaborating together to enable this societal interaction. So if that machine is built in Ethereum, then Ethereum gets a sort of network effect because now let's say you have a thousand owners of capital and thousand homeowners locked into this mechanism with 2000 contracts built on Ethereum. They are pretty much locked onto Ethereum. And then whenever somebody else wants to build, replicate this feature. So Let's say this feature is built in the US and like you as Prashant uh, want to build it in India or Singapore, you're going to copy all of those contracts and you're going to use Ethereum because they're going to be compatible with Ethereum. So networks of contracts have a way of locking developers and users into the Ethereum platform. So Ethereum is this unique invention where the invention is, is material, it's big, and these networks of contracts have a network effect. So you do know that if like Ethereum starts to capture these networks of contracts applications, you know that it will win. Until now, we haven't seen networks of contracts. Like the, the kinds we have seen are somebody does, a, somebody takes part in a gambling application. And then they, if they win a gambling application, uh, the money is forwarded to some other investor. We, we already see things like this happening. That's a network of contracts. Uh, decentralized exchange is also a network of contracts. If you look at decentralized exchange, the way it's made, it's actually not one contract, but then like around 10 contracts that are working together. These networks of contracts really haven't appeared. But if you look at financial interactions, almost all of them are networks of contracts. Almost all material financial interactions, societal interactions are networks of contracts. So whatever platform will capture these networks of contracts will be the one that wins enormously. And Ethereum is in a unique position because it's the first. 
it did an invention that was material and that invention ultimately has a network effect so that makes a very powerful investment thesis now smart contract safety in comparison might at the surface it looks like a problem that doesn't have such a network effect like so tezos let's say tezos solves it so tezos has created basically this stack based uh, virtual machine and a language a low level language that works on that virtual machine that is mycelson yeah and then they created high level languages called liquidity and there's another one that compiled down to mycelson and then run on the stack based machine now the particular tezos stack based machine can be easily copied over by another network it's pretty easy so by itself that invention might be material but that invention doesn't have that big a network effect so you know the tezos branch of the tree is weaker than the ethereum branch of the tree right like so it, i went to the imagination of the tree tezos is one branch ethereum is a different branch the ethereum branch is actually the stronger branch but that that's not the end of the story though there is a there is this unique invention that is coming which is called the k framework and that k framework shifts the smart contract safety problem it solves the smart contract safety problem and it also creates a network effect around it i won't go into what it is cuz like it's pretty complex but it is also possible that in the smart contract safety branch of the tree you will also have a major invention that will have its own network effect and if that is true i'll be buying the token that uh, captures that i think will capture that network effect pretty strongly okay uh, yeah yeah i don't know that that makes that makes complete sense so getting back into the on the investment side um is there a way that you used to determine the ticket size or how much of your portfolio you're going to allocate to a particular project yeah so i think uh, so i think the interesting thing there is there's a there's a tool which is called the kelly criterion so for so the kelly criterion is actually i think around 50 years old right so it was invented by uh an investor uh, a researcher called uh, j l kelly junior in the bell labs in 1956 and uh, um i think kelly's thought experiment was like this so so imagine you enter into a casino right and you enter into a casino with a 100 and you have all of these different machines you have these different slot machines you have a roulette table you have a poker you have a blackjack table you have those dumb slot machines where like you just to the slot and it gives it displays a pattern and pays out and each of these slot machines offers some odds to you to win and your odds might be different like your odds of winning on blackjack might be higher if you are a good blackjack player uh, your odds of winning on a slot machine are probably determined by the casino so his question was if i enter with 100 dollars and i have these slot machines uh, what is the way i should allocate these 100 dollars across these slot machines and to so in it turns out the simpler version of this problem has a, has a simple solution which is called the kelly criterion so the kelly criterion what it does is uh, for each investment you you just need so when you are making investments you need to know how much you'll make so how much i see is what is sort of the rate of growth i can expect and what what how much is the certainty how much is your certainty about the investment panning out 
So for each investment, if you enter these two things, the Kelly criterion will actually output uh, a portfolio, output a portfolio for you. I think, I think it's one of the it's one of the simple systems that uh, produces um, the best portfolios. And there's a book called Fortune's Formula. I think that's the name. Let me check. I would encourage like serious investors to read Fortune's Formula. And I think a lot of the fortunes formula is applicable into crypto, right? So ask yourself if you're doing investments into five, what can these produce and how much is your confidence? And if you if if you know these things, you can apply fortunes formula, the Kelly criterion to your portfolio. I think the probability part becomes difficult, right? I mean, yes. that is, I think, especially in this space, you know, like you think something might succeed today and and it has all the qualities but then you know something might just come up tomorrow and it just kind of takes away everything right and and if you've got a very long term horizon then then that becomes a problem right so how do you assign those probabilities uh, to projects which are so uh, sometimes you know you're investing very very early on and so i mean so you kind of you know, you're, I mean, from what I understand, you're kind of making concentrated bets, right? In things that you believe. So you, there are certain problems that exist and uh, what are the projects that are solving this? And you kind of, you know, concentrate your bets on that. Whereas I think sort of the angel investing or the VC approach, so to say, from my perspective, and, and please, uh, you know, I would love to hear your thoughts on this as well, might work a little bit better where you're like kind of making smaller bets but on on multiple projects and then you, you know you you kind of hope and and pray that you know one of them gives you disproportionate returns and kind of comes out as emerges as the winner what, what are your thoughts yeah. on that yeah so actually first of all i would i would say that uh, this vc strategy uh, the kelly criterion is so general that the VC strategy will emerge or emerges out of the Kelly criteria. So if you have a market in which where you have like say a hundred bets, hundred possible bets and the odds of success in each of these bets is pretty high, 70 or 80%, but the returns are relatively lower, like five X, six X. Then the Kelly criterion will output somebody, something like Warren Buffet's portfolio which is like concentrated bets in like 10, 10 things. That's what it will output. And if you have a market in which there's a thousand possible bets, each, the average bet has the nature that its odds of succeeding are like one or 2%, but success is followed by 1000 X, right? Success produces 1000 X. The Kelly criterion will output the angel investing portfolio which is you will, you will spread your bet across lots of eggs. I would say that like the Kelly criterion is the most general way to think. And then depending on your market, it will, it will auto auto tune to your market. But like your question is like, okay, these, like these probabilities are pretty hard to think about. And I agree they're hard to think about. So if you think of like this, so I, I personally believe that the universe is a computer, right? Like, the universe is a computer and we are also like, you know, like we are just like, you know, like processes or programs that are, that is, that are, that is running on this computer. And so if you look at the crypto market, like 
this computer is outputting like real probabilities of success right like the, 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 there is in reality some real probability of bitcoin going into going to 100000 there is some real probability right like in reality it might be say 15% or 20% there is some number what i as an investor i'm trying to do is i'm estimating my number and my number will diverge from the real number always it will always diverge because if it's always equal to the real number i am the perfect investor right that means that the that the computational universe has a probability of something happening and i'm so good as an investor that my, my subjective probability is the same as the computational probability that the universe is assigning to it to this event if i'm so good they will always align but we are not that good so they will always diverge this is okay it is okay to diverge what what like this this kind of thinking forces on you is it forces you to write down a number that i am 60% certain ether will ether will go here and then when when you and then your number will be wrong your number will be totally wrong the actual probabilities will be different but in writing down that number it will force you to think why you think it's 60 and not 80 why you think it's 60 and not 40 and this like forces you to articulate it forces you to articulate something about the bet like like thinking like this forced me to articulate that I think Ethereum will Ethereum's odds of success will become higher in my eye when I see networks of contracts, useful networks of contracts forming on Ethereum. That is that is a metric I'm I'm watching out for. It will shift my estimate of its success higher. Today it's lower because I don't see networks of contracts on Ethereum. So this this exercise will result in incorrect probabilities. It's to be expected, but that process forces you to think and the other thing is this is the max this is sort of the this is the way you can be sort of uh, maximally right like you won't be perfectly right when you write down these probabilities but you can't do better than that because ultimately there is subjectivity in our thoughts we can express that subjectivity as a probability we can't do any better than that as individuals and so speaking of you know, investments, what does your portfolio look like right now? Perhaps you could talk about how much of your net worth is in crypto and then talk about what your crypto portfolio looks like, you know, giving as much detail as you can. Yeah. So I, I, I can't go into like lots of detail. So part of my challenge this year has been, um, I was very active with investing last year, like studying, but this year I'm building my company and for example, the Kelly criterion, I'm, I'm not able to do it anymore. Right. Uh, it, it, it needs time to, to, to think. And my portfolio has not kept up to date because I have to build a company now. Uh, but my portfolio generally is, is overweight towards Ethereum for the time being. And it's, it's really overweight on the, on the scalability side, like projects that um, that have interesting solutions to to scalability. So I, I think Cosmos is interesting there. I think our chain is is very interesting there. I think there will be something that comes out of the zero knowledge space there that will be very interesting. Like there's a project called Coda, 
my feeling about it is it's a step in the right direction but there, there's no network effect around that invention that i can that i can perceive so my my portfolio on the scalability side is like yeah basically like ethereum is my sort of base portfolio right now base coin and then like i'm invested in like cosmos archain um, and i i evaluate the zero knowledge space so it, it's it's like that on that side on this on this smart contract um, safety side i have i've put some into tezos but but i don't know maybe maybe in a year or two i should reevaluate because like the k framework as an invention uh, appeared to me just a few months back and sort of my my appreciation of tezos went down and the k framework went up so now i need to sort of study it from the perspective where the k framework exists so i need to uh, so that side i right now it's like probably tezos only but like this needs to change in in some way and then like another interesting side is of course another interesting branch of the tree is privacy i haven't invested much into privacy but i think there are very interesting things happening there enigma the enigma token looks, looks looks really interesting but i don't understand it enough i don't understand it enough to make a probability estimate or articulate a thesis around the enigma token that's about it so like you know like these are really eight so it's like ethereum ethereum cosmos tezos archain i look at enigma i look at things around the key framework anything to do with uh, governance any projects that are trying to solve the governance problem solve the governance problem so like so like governance is like one of those things where good governance ideas can get copied by another community Oh, by the way, I forgot a project like Zilliqa is an interesting project. Okay. Yeah, I'm. I've been. Uh, I'm. So I'm in Singapore. All these guys are based out of Singapore, so yeah. I'm. I'm going to meet them pretty soon. Uh, which yeah. Is exciting. Yeah, Zilliqa is is pretty interesting. They they are also interesting on the smart contract safety side. Uh, their language Scylla is really interesting, but I think like I think K framework is more fundamental than Scylla. That's that's my. guess today that's my guess today on the governance i feel like the good governance inventions will be copied quite easily so i don't think i'll be buying coins specifically because their governance is nice i i, I don't think i'll buy governance tokens also so i've i've, I've looked at 0x which is supposed to be a governance token i love 0x the project like like that's an amazing team like the best team and i met the founders personally like amazing set of founders but i don't buy into the governance token idea yet and I, i don't think i'll be buying coins that that solve governance unless like their invention is such that it has a network effect around it i i, I don't see how you make a governance invention and then there there's a network effect around your governance invention like if i invent let's say a, a way of using prediction markets to make governance decisions well other people can also do it so me as the inventor or the inventing project may not have an edge in the longer run so it's an interesting branch of the tree but i am a little bit biased against that branch today would you look at some you know ancillary services as well 
uh, you know, things like exchanges, custodial solutions to make investments as well? Yeah, so I mean, I would I would love to. So if I were like a full-time VC or a full-time investor at my hedge fund, that's what I'd do. I think a lot of the interesting plays are ancillary. For example, a few months back, I I knew IDEX was going to be good. So IDEX is that centralized but decentralized crypto exchange on Ethereum. Yeah. yeah. And I and I and like just looking at their product, I knew that this was interesting. But then it's a centralized company. You can only buy equity in it. It's not a network. There is a lot of frictional cost there, right? So yeah. you have to participate in a round. So I wasn't able to do it. And and at some level, that was a wrong decision, like not to even try. I didn't have the time to try, but like I I I think I should have tried. I should have tried with IDEX. Um, so like ancillaries are going to be really important. Like like what wallets are people going to use? Uh, what uh, what hardware wallets are people going to use? Exchanges are obviously really important. Exchanges are business which are with a natural two-sided network effect, right? So you have buyers and sellers. Sellers want to go where the buyers are. Buyers want to come where the sellers are, and both want to come where the market makers are. So you know, like any exchange has a natural net network effect. It has a really good business model. As a result, exchanges are almost always nice to invest in, right? So, for example, India doesn't have a winning exchange today, but then Central RBI came and clamped down on it, so now it doesn't make sense to invest. But if I were a VC, I would go and invest into an Indian exchange. It's a business with a business model and a network effect. Amazing. Yep. Uh, but I don't get the time to to do these, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean that was actually going to be my next question: uh, whether you would, uh, whether do you or would you take equity stakes in companies now? Also, because I think just the nature of how this space is evolving from a regulatory context, a lot of companies are choosing to, you know, raise money through equity or, um, you know, purely through kind of private sales or through VCs, and so that bec- it becomes more difficult for an average investor to kind of get into the best deals. Yeah, I mean, on the equity side, it's it's quite difficult, and really, like like equity rounds are geared towards VC firms. And as an individual, participating in a Series A, Series B becomes quite hard. Like you can really do it, I guess, if you're full time into it. Yeah. If you're if you're on the side, it's probably better to stick to just crypto assets. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, I'd love to get your thoughts on this was one of the things I was thinking about is aligning the interests of the founders a little bit more. So typically what ends up happening today is, so my view is that today, uh, any founder who's building a company is kind of building two products. So you're building one of the products is the actual product. The second product is the token itself. And so you're kind of managing two products at the same time. And, and what ends up happening is that typically you would control 100% equity in your company uh, or close to 100%. uh, But you would hold very few tokens. So it's not in your interest to make sure that uh, the token price appreciates or the token as a product becomes successful. But you could it's in your interest to make sure that the company is successful. So I think what can be done is to, you know, is for I mean, again, it becomes difficult for retail investors, but for institutional investors to take more of an equity stake. Um, and so that the 
you know, founder has, you kind of reduce the equity stake a founder has, but increase the amount of tokens uh, the founder holds to kind of align interests better. Hmm. Like, what, what do you think about that? Do you think, I, do you think that it's, it's like the right way to think about things? I, I, I don't know much about this, this piece. So, okay. Yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah, I, I actually don't have really good. I've, I've, I've never thought from the shoes of a founder on, on this problem. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, more broadly speaking, do you have, you know, I mean, I, I guess we'll wrap up uh, soon, but broadly speaking, do you think, do you have any views on what this entire ecosystem may look like in a couple of years time? Um, do you have any predictions, any particular areas of development that excite you, you know, beyond what we've spoken, we've spoken about some of the problems that exist and how some of the projects that are trying to solve it, but in general, any other thoughts that you might have? Anything that you might want to share before we wrap up? I feel like last year's rally, last year's rally had a lot of irrational exuberance into it. But I feel it has, 2017 rally has already produced lots of interesting projects in 2018. Like these are projects that probably had the genesis in 2016 but got funding last year and now a building and so uh, i think in 2020 we are going to see a lot of the benefits of the 2017 rally technologically uh, so there's a lag between the price rallying enormously and the technology appearing so if you look at ethereum Ethereum was really a product of um, the 2013 bubble, right? So 2013, like bubble is at the peak and Vitalik releases white paper and like people congregate around him. The 2013 bubble not only created Ethereum, but like MasterCoin and there were like Counterparty and there were many projects. And out of all of those, only Ethereum mattered in the long run. Nothing else mattered. Like everything else is dead. I think it's going to be similar. The 2017 has created like this bunch of projects, right? Like probably 1000 projects out of those, like two or three will matter, but then we'll see the effects of the good effects of those in 2020, right? Like we'll have some really cool, cool technology. So I, I, I think like technologically this space has a really bright future because of the 2017 bubble. I, I really think uh, it's, 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 it's done enormous good for, for the technology space. I I perceive like there are some odds that this will become a mass mania. There'll be there'll be like lots of people entering and like buying things they don't understand. And we'll have another another big market run up like into the into the trillions of dollars total market cap. Mass mania will happen. And and if a mass mania does happen it will pop and it will result in like huge amounts of losses for a lot of people. I think, I think there's some odds of that happening over the next five years. And as, as people that are riding the waves, um, we need to be like emotionally detached and rational enough not to get caught up in the mass media. I think as an investor, this sort of situation may be the one to deal with as a technologist, 
life is great like i mean the inventions are amazing yeah. as a technologist like life is great inventions are amazing and and i feel like we are on the right path like as 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 a technology we are on the right path uh, over 20 years this will become amazing uh, i have no doubts there as a as an investing player the thing i try to do myself is to try to try to keep getting caught up in a potential mass mania okay anything else no that's it yeah it was a nice conversation yeah i think that's a great note to end this interview on uh, mayor thank you so much for taking the time out to come speak with us it was an absolute pleasure to have you on the show cool so it was nice to be on the show i think the i think it was a nice conversation thank you for if you enjoyed this episode please subscribe to this podcast on itunes google play soundcloud or wherever you listen to podcasts like us on facebook twitter linkedin and telegram and subscribe to our newsletter on decrypt.asia this is your host tashar thank you for listening